I'm really sorry again that we ended up here. Hopefully we can find a way to recover, said Sam Bankman-Fried, the founder of the now-failed FTX exchange and, and someone who's very much in the hot seat right now. Um, we've got some other crypto quotes too. Warren Buffett famously said, if you offered me all the Bitcoin in the world for $25, I wouldn't take it. His partner, sidekick Charlie Munger, a fellow billionaire, says it's, quote, good for kidnappers and, quote, a bad combination of fraud and delusion. So crypto is in the hot seat right now. And it's it's not the first time. I tend to think thing, things have, are never as good as they look. Things are never as bad as they seem. Um but, and, and none of crypto's crises or failures are thematically unique to crypto, but they do seem to be happening uh, a lot more frequently and with more severity than in traditional regulated financial markets. Uh, and a lot of people, including myself, are probably a little bit skeptical right now. <clears throat> so we're going to dive into that. I have here Joshua Shigala, who is founder, co-founder of the Standard.io, which is a stablecoin protocol. And we're going to talk about a lot of other things, stablecoins included, but basically, where are we after all this crypto mess with this FTX uh, exchange drama? Uh, what have we learned? What's the solution? Uh, what's what's really underneath? What's the there there in crypto? And what will the future look like? So, Jonathan, yeah. welcome to the Early Advantage. And thank you for joining us. Oh, that's that very. It's my pleasure, James. Thank you very much for having me. And uh, it's a really good question. You know, where are we? And you know, I've, I've been in Bitcoin working in the space since 2010. You know, I was, I was really, there was like less than a thousand people working in Bitcoin back then. And and when the first big major Bitcoin exchange crashed called Mt. Gox, um, everyone was like, it's over, it's done, it's cooked. There was headlines like the CEO of Bitcoin runs off with the, uh, with the coins uh, or, or gets hacked. You know, Bitcoin gets hacked, things like this. And the reason why such headlines existed was because people didn't understand it. They didn't understand that Bitcoin was its own thing and that it cannot be hacked, uh, most likely. It's very improbable that it can. Um, they, they equated the exchange, which is basically a bank or a, a, an institution that holds custody of, of funds. And, um, and then that got, that got hacked and people ran away with funds and and it really destroyed the confidence in the industry. And what we're seeing right now with FTX and a whole bunch of things is, again, major financial fraud um, that has happened. And look, we saw all of this in the 1930s as well uh, in, in the States. These major financial institutions, uh, like major exchanges, are just doing the same thing. They were, they were rehypothecating customer funds. They were using customer funds as, as uh, collateral for loans. They were doing all sorts of jiggery-pokery, uh, which really was, uh, well, upfront illegal. So it's not like the regulations aren't there. They, they were doing illegal things um, at that. So we're already regulated. It's just you get bad actors uh, coming in. And, uh, and so I'm a big proponent of fixing things with code with with heart because it doesn't matter and i've said this before over and over but it doesn't matter how many guns you point at two plus two it's always going to equal four and so by uh, building uh, what are called smart contracts that can execute absolutely with no corruption um, a, a predetermined rule set uh, this is this is the ultimate regulation, right? It's it's the ultimate regulation. There is no better regulation than look. We know what's going to happen when something goes in there because it's mathematically set out. 
I want to I want to jump in on that because I think I think you hit on a point that that a lot of people new to crypto may bristle at initially, but but I think it's worth unpacking. And before I do though, just for the quick explainer in terms of where we are right now, because somebody joining us you probably seen the news about FTX, but the 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 all the facts have not been laid bare yet, but allegedly or presumably it seems like, uh, you know, Sam bankman had this Alameda trading firm, which he was no longer running. But uh, this firm was trading on the FTX exchange, often being a counterparty uh, on on various trades. And and I guess it needed to be uh, made whole sometimes because it, it was making a lot of bad trades. And so uh, it looks like it looks like allegedly FTX used some of its uh, the, the money, depositor money uh, or investor money and, and through some backdoor channel funneled it over to Alamina, which is uh, obviously in violation or presumably in violation of its terms of service of, of what it said it would or wouldn't do. Uh, again, you know, we don't know the the totality of it yet. But as you mentioned, this rehab rehypothecation of funds, it's not the first time. I mean, this this is it has been a tradfi problem, too. And, you know, it's what banks do. Also, it's a, the, the business model of a bank. But banks are legally allowed to do it because the, the risk is a lot less and, and they do it in a very regulated con- context. Um, this seems like it was done under the table uh, to fund extremely uh, risky bets. And obviously it didn't go well. And the industry and observers are left scratching their heads. Uh, in the U.S., we've got a number of regulators who are who are ready to pounce on this. Uh, we've got, I think, I counted six different regulators in the U.S. who claim some possible oversight over crypto, which is part of the confusion. Uh, and then there's the so and and, and uh, Brian Armstrong, CEO of of Coinbase, which is a a crypto exchange, a very high fee, but, but sort of legitimate and respected one. They, they, they've been bragging. They don't, you know, they keep funds one-to-one. They don't do anything else with your, your money, you know, unless they tell you. Um, he wrote an op-ed, I, I believe it was on CNBC, say, saying we need more regulation. And, and Sam Bankman-Fried, ironically, was, was kind of clamoring for the same thing. So regulation seems to be one solution. It's the most obvious solution. It's the most, you know, solution with historical precedent. DeFi could be another one. And it sounds like you're talking about that. Trust the code. And if I think about that, it initially sounds appealing. Here's my question, though. Like, it, it seems like there have been instances, there, there have been plenty of hacks in, in crypto, uh, even recently with FTX. Hacks aren't supposed to happen, but they still do. So is, is the risk of trusting the code a, a theoretically sound idea that fails because uh, because of, of errors in the code. So people are exploiting, even if the spirit is right, uh, on a practical matter, that gives us another can of worms? Absolutely, it does. And there is, um, you know, the gold industry has had 5,000 years of scams. It's gone through uh, a massive, long, multi-generational learning curve of what can be exploited, how to be exploited, uh, what people fall for. And over that time, humanity has built mechanisms in place to stop these sorts of things. So people know, okay, I want to get LBMA approved gold. It has to be in a top tier vaulting facility. Uh, it has to be audited by a large player like BDO. It should be uh, uh, it should be fully insured by like a large player, Lloyd's of London or something like that. And and um, and so these sorts of things uh, are there, right? With DeFi, we've had what? four years, five years. Um, with Bitcoin, we've had since 2009. Um, so it's a little bit longer, but but basic 
DeFi on smart contracts um, are, are very new. And the thing is with smart contracts is that as these hacks happen, the industry says, okay, let's fix that so it doesn't happen again. And they, uh, they start to, to code a new one. So there's also already um, smart contract auditors. So multiple parties come in and audit stuff. But for the, for the general centralized exchange, I, I do think, I mean, regulations are a very important part because you don't only have, um, you don't only have uh, proof of reserves, let's say. This is this big call. I actually invented the, you know, the Glassbooks protocol for radical transparency in centralized exchanges back in 2014. And we implemented that at Voltura.com, um, which was then the, the most transparent exchange in the world. The problem with transparency protocols that, that um, places like Kraken and, and Coinbase and all these uh, starting to use um, is that it doesn't show the liabilities. Mm-hmm. So humans in the back end can, uh, can play with the books, can cook the books, can put stuff. I'm not saying, you know, definitely I'm not saying that Kraken and, and um, Coinbase are doing that, but FTX allegedly did. And so um, when you're dealing with, things where humans have control, uh, that of course fails. And you basically can solve that with radical transparency and using large, uh, well, auditors that are so big that they do not want to brandish their name by corrupting uh, or colluding with a, with a bad actor. Uh, yeah. And they're willing to do that, I guess, is my, my question. And, and the second follow-up is, what about proof of reserves? For an exchange, I've heard talk about that, but isn't that only as good as the trustworthiness of the exchange proving its reserves? No. So on the blockchain, you can absolutely prove what's there and what you have. You can sign a sign a transaction from your cold wallet to say we have control of this many funds. But what they can't prove with proof of reserves is how many liabilities do you hold. So maybe they've, they've used that as collateral in a contract that they've written uh, with a, another player or they've loaned stuff out or they, we don't know. We know the funds are there. They've got control of that, but maybe their liabilities are much larger. Got it. And maybe they've overhypothecated. I mean, it's, it's only half the battle, basically, if you prove the reserves. You've got another side of the balance sheet, basically. Right. And, and yeah. this is the great thing with, with DeFi is that, uh, for instance, what we're building, you can lock up funds into a smart contract. Uh, yourself and not give anybody else the private key so you can lock up those funds and and once you've locked them up you can generate a stable cryptocurrency up to 85% of that value but every and and everyone knows okay they can look at the ecosystem and say there's more value locked up in smart contracts than there is stable coins floating around so and it's not like celsius you're not giving your crypto to someone else to say hey can I borrow some money for this collateral you're, you're borrowing money from yourself using a smart contract. So these are the sorts of mechanisms that we're working towards rather than, uh, and, and actually it's, it's, it's more regulated than, than the TradFi space because you actually have um, ways that everybody can witness what is in these contracts. And usually it's open source so people can check the code as well. And this is really, really key. There are some issues uh, in in DeFi, where people believe that when you upload a contract, a smart contract, um, that 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 it's unchangeable, that it's immutable. Um, there are ways to code smart contracts where players can change the code. So these are the sorts of things that will be coming out in audits and 
and really showing, you know, maybe the MetaMask wallet will say, hey, this contract that you're about to deal with has got, you know, X, Y, Z. And, you know, Apple has dealt with scams as well, right? Um, uh, initially, you, when you downloaded an app, it would say, hey, this app wants access to boom, boom, boom. And, and it just told you this whole list. And you're like, why does it need access to my camera? <laughs> what? Uh, you know, and they, most people just went, yeah. But nowadays, they've changed that to say, okay, you've downloaded this app. Um, you're about to scan a QR code or something. Now we need access. Do you want to now allow it? So it's learned over time how to, how to deal with security measures better. And the, the crypto industry will also do the same. Yeah, I, 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 I buy that. I mean, it's a learning curve. I mean, the crypto industry right now, a lot of the code seems like maybe kind of like a, a slightly dumb Roomba. You know, it's, it's, it's still clunky, bumping around, but, but, but you know, it's, it's, it's learning and it's going to get better over time. Um, and, I, and you mentioned what you're building. And I want to get to that in a moment. But, but first, I want to I build into that uh, with, with a question. <clears throat> so, and by the way, it, crypto writ large, all the market cap of all the cryptos right now is, is less than half the, the, the market cap of Microsoft. It's in between Berkshire Hathaway and Microsoft. So it's kind of, I mean, it was higher before, but there is, has never been, at least in my lifetime, more excitement about something relative to the size in crypto, which, which is interesting in terms of excitement. I mean, platforms, in terms of regulators talking, just, just buzz. I mean, there's a lot, you would never see this much buzz for a company the size of half of Microsoft Be, because, because people are expecting so much in the future. And, and that gets to my, my first question is, I've been obsessed, and maybe you can help me, unpa about unpacking what's the there there in crypto. Now, I, I know there's not, it's not like a stock where, you know, you have a, the even then it's theoretical, theoretical claim on cash flows, on assets, on something in the company. When you buy gold, when you buy fine art, when you buy, you know, I don't know what else, but there's certain assets that don't have like a, it's just, it's just the value is in the eye of the beholder. My question, if you go back to all the hype around crypto, it seems like the why, the reason. A lot of people have been buying crypto over the past couple of years. If you surveyed an audience, I would say most of them, at least most that I know, have been buying it because it's been going up. You know, they don't really understand it. Uh, you know, they don't, you know, they're, they're just too excited. And in general, when people have a bad why, or they're just kind of herd following, you have bad outcomes. And that's true in, in equity markets. It's been true in every equity market bubble in the past. So I'm not saying there's no there there, but I'm wondering like, what's the enduring there there like versus the kind of the hype? Because I almost feel like the hype helped, but also kind of hurt too, because now it, yeah. it may have kind of painted the industry with, with one color that it doesn't necessarily deserve. Um, and, and maybe, you know, maybe crypto is deservedly much smaller and needs those years to work out those kinks. And then it will grow into what people hoped it was uh, already. Uh, what do you yeah. think about that? No, absolutely. The, the thing with Bitcoin or crypto in general, why is it valuable? Why is it interesting? The, the legacy financial system has a lot of overhead. It is very, very cumbersome. Uh, when you put money into a bank, why do you get such crappy interest rate? <laughs> it's because... The bank has to lend it to, well, gives it to a fund manager. A fund manager gives it to some other manager. The, that manager then uh, gives it to a market maker eventually. And the market maker speculates with it, hopefully makes some money. Uh, then it trickles back up. Uh, everyone takes their cut until you get your measly percentages at the end. Um, uh, there's also other, other mechanisms at play. But 
there's generally a lot of middlemen. DeFi, uh, decentralized finance, you have some, some crypto, you want to lock it up as a market maker, you can put it directly into, a, an, into an automated market maker that basically uh, serves as liquidity within a, within a trading pool. And, um, and it's, it's amazing because you get all of the profits. So that's why some of the yields are so large uh, in, in decentralized finance, because there's just no middleman. It's just so efficient. So the efficiency gain is massive. And wherever efficiency is, liquidity will end up flowing towards. Um, why would you want 0.3% when you can get at relatively low risk if you're not being an idiot? Um, uh, you could you could maybe get four or five percent. So um, so there's that. But also um, you're you're talking about a bearer based asset, a digital bearer based asset with a global settlement layer uh, that that is programmable, so that you you can actually program outcomes within the within the um, the currency, and there's no third party uh, to deal with. This is phenomenal. And uh, now a lot of people are talking about CBDCs and what that will bring. And, oh, that's great because now we'll have real-time settlement finally uh, within the legacy system. Is, you know, oh, yeah, great. But actually what, what happens there is that's, that's the real difference there. You have a, a, a real-time settlement layer. And we, we can go into why the dangers of that are because that's happening and it, we, we will get there. So. I'll just quickly touch on some of the dangers of CBDCs. A CBDC, like right now, if one bank talks to another bank, uh, so so if I go to the shop and pay, um, it'll it'll uh, basically just put up a message saying my bank now owes a little bit more to 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 your bank, and um, and it won't settle straight away. It's not like the the bank transfers that right away. It just tallies everything up and every 24 hours, say my bank owes a million to bank B and bank B owns, uh, owes 20, uh, 200,000 to, to my bank, then my bank would just send 800,000 to settle it at the end of the day. So, so there's less liquidity needed um, and, and it's more efficient, right? But it's every 24 hours. Now, CBDCs drop all that. Um, and first of all, why is that interesting? Why is that good? It's because the bank has a contract with you to, to keep your transactions private. The central bank that settles everything doesn't know all the little transactions that made up that million uh, at the end of the day. They just go, oh, this much money from bank A to bank B, boom. Once, once every transaction and every detail goes to the central bank, uh, that means massive controls can start happening. That means, oh, if there's a lockdown, we can code in there, hey, you're not allowed to spend your money after a kilometer. Oh, by the way, uh, we have a bit of a credit crisis. Um, uh, we're going to put a, um, a timestamp on your savings and, and a use-by date. You have to spend your money now within three months, otherwise it becomes invalid. Uh, they can say, hey, uh, uh, to stop global warming, we're only going to allow 15 liters of oil per week, um, uh, and uh, you've already bought your steak ration uh, because that's hurting the money. Like the, the carbon credits and maybe the social credit score, you've got too many parking fines, and now you're only allowed to spend 5K a month. Or, you know. All the control happens because they now know every single transaction that you're doing with, with, where, how, who, all of that information is there. And so just that one step of having the banking system is really important. But that, that uh, inefficiency 
uh, what what happens is you get an efficiency gain, meaning when I make a transaction, it instantly crosses over and it instantly serves. So what does Bitcoin do, crypto do? It gives you that ability to fairly instantly settle a transaction so you have proof that you actually have the transaction. It, it also uh, takes away all of that centralized power of, of, of epic control over society. And we've seen in, in mainly communist nations how capital controls really destroy um, large segments of the economy and they might lift certain parts. But um, capital controls are generally a pretty terrible thing and uh, and so so yet yeah, crypto has a massive future um, whether you whether you believe that or not it just does because it's just more efficient but now so i you know i, I get the, the both sides of the debate about cbdc's obviously it brings the convenience uh, of of you know a, a cryptocurrency to the stability of an existing uh, you know typically fiat currency obviously it gives a lot more control to the government although in a way you know I tend to think we're going there, like it or not. I mean, it's happened with with weaponry, with technology. I mean, in the U.S., an example I often cite, you know, the, the U.S. has a second amendment to the Constitution, is that the people are really a National Guard has the right to bear arms. That's because years ago, you know, the, the citizenry took up muskets and, and, and fought the British, right? But yeah. these days, you would not want the citizenry, the average person having, uh, you know, the, the highest standard of, you know, chemical weapons, nuclear bombs. I mean, the British only had muskets also back then. And so the, the founding fathers of the U.S. could not have imagined uh, the scenario we're in right now. So the technology benefit has accrued to the state. And the same thing is happening with surveillance. I had Lisa Lin on here, uh, the show recently, an author of Surveillance State, a book about uh, Chinese surveillance. But it's really yeah. happening in the West, too. Right. Technology just tends to give more power to the state. Um, I, I agree with you. It's, it's a concern uh, for sure. Uh, but I, you know, I, I just maybe I'm I'm overly practical. I just tend to think we're going to go there, like it or not. Um, That's right, we are, and and I absolutely agree. And I would say go for it. But I would say what we need is competition. You need an exit door. You need to make sure that the citizenry can say, hey, if you guys screw this up, there's an exit door here called crypto, and I'm willing to take it um, because you know you need options. You need options. So. So th this is what's important. This is what the entire Western civilization in terms of the, the free market uh, allows is competition. Competition keeps the bastards honest. And that's really what it's all about. How many cryptos, how many exit doors do we need? I think we've got 17,000 cryptos now. Uh, I recently wrote an article about crypto use cases. So I was Googling, you know, crypto cases, crypto use cases. And, you know, there was some overlap in the different, they all list, yeah. you know, these articles, top 10 cryptos with the best use case. But Basically, all of them, what struck me is all of them, for their use cases, they were something that you could have just paid in, in regular money for also. I mean, you didn't have to be using the crypto. Um, how many cryptos at the end of the day do you, do you think we need? And is that number going to be decided by a use case or is it just going to be first mover, kind of whoever gets the biggest first, basically? It will. It'll be a, uh, a network effect. Look, when the car got first invented, every bike shop turned into a car shop. Everyone was creating cars. There was car brands uh, galore. And eventually they got whittled down um, to the major brands that we see today. And so what we will see is obviously you don't want, you know, uh, rainbow 
uh, unicorn coin, uh, you know, it's just not a serious thing. There will, I, I think there will be a, f- a few really serious contenders. And um, this is what we're hoping the standard will be in terms of a global uh, stablecoin protocol. But um, what you'll see is always, there will always be an entire casino of all sorts of cryptocurrencies that people want to speculate with. It'll just be uh, thousands, millions of different tokens that people will launch and you know, th- this will be a highly speculative constant market that will always be bubbling away at the bottom. But the, the serious players building real tech, real solution, real infrastructure for, the, for a global network, a global market um, will be there. And they'll be competing against each other. And competition is so important. And, and what's, what's really great is that it's permissionless. So some some kid in some small town in the south of France can be in his mum's basement and suddenly go, oh, wow, I've created uh, something amazing here that I can plug directly into Ethereum and um, or plug into Bitcoin or whatever, and, and people can decide voluntarily to use it. And we can also experiment with economic theory uh, in the uh, you know, instead of building gulags and torturing people for not going along with Marxist doctrine, um, we can actually just say, hey, we've got a new token economy. Um, that, for instance, this one was called Freicoin. Uh, I think it was launched like, I don't know, like years and years ago. It was an interesting coin because everyone was hodling, holding this Bitcoin and, they, and there wasn't this velocity. So a lot of uh, crypto economists were saying we need more velocity in, in cryptocurrency to actually make it worthwhile. So this coin programmed into it an, a, a way that, uh, that the, the currency removes value over time. So if you hodl it too long, it just loses value. Uh, and so you want to move it. You want to have velocity. And, um, and, and it, so, so what happened? Well, there's this big hype. Everyone's like, this is going to be fantastic. I volunteer to, to partake in this thing. It's, it's highly speculative. It goes up in price and then it just tanked because it didn't work. The, the economy didn't work. Now, some would say that's terrible. Uh, Bob lost all his money in that. Yes, I agree. But people need to sometimes touch a candle uh, to realize it hurts. We cannot protect everyone by over-regulating a space like crazy um, because uh, because they don't know what they're doing. What's really important is that shows like this and, and podcasts, they need to teach people what what risk looks like again. I think people are so de-risked by the state for the year, for years that they don't even know what it's going Like they literally go onto Twitter like idiots and someone will say, send me one uh, Ethereum and I'll send you three back. And they will do it. Like it, this is this is crazy, right? So so um, so really I, I, I put a big, big part uh, in that now that we have, we need to embrace freedom and we no, need to not, cage ourselves in um, too much, of course, we need rules and rule sets, uh, especially in the on and off and the centralized exchanges where you don't know the liabilities. Um, but but we, need to, we need to be careful when we just throw the word around. We need more regulation, for instance. What, that, that's, like, that's like taking a game, a board game out and saying, we need more rules for this game. Uh, what does that even mean? It's such a broad, funny statement. It's, it would be much better to say, we need more regulations about X, Y, Z, this thing. And let's figure out how we can do that. 
So it, that's, that's, I think, a really important thing to say. And, and if we looked at banks, for instance, banks are regulated like crazy. Yet, uh, you know, HSBC has been fined billions <laughs> for money laundering, uh, uh, you know, and, and such. And so, so crimes still happen. Um, it's, it's really important to do good old-fashioned police work and allow for police to do that work and arrest criminals um, that are doing uh, uh, that are bad actors. But it's also really important. Imagine if you had to have a license for every single website that came onto the website, or to get an email address. Um, it, it, would we have the same internet we have now, or would I, I'm not sure. You know, it's it's a really interesting uh, thing to talk to think about and. And the, the nature of the internet is so anarchic, it does allow for a lot of scams, um, which is horrible and terrible. And, and But you've also got a whole bunch of the internet trying to stop scams and trying to build technology. For instance, I just saw someone recently who's building an AI to basically keep scammers on the line for as long as possible uh, by answering them with voice. So they, they're just the whole time trying to scam an AI and that then <laughs> stops them from actually scamming a person. So, yeah. <laughs> so there's like all this it. sort of thing. I I think uh you you mentioned uh network effects as as yeah. the main predictor of success. And that makes a lot of sense to me, especially in terms of <clears throat> using cryptocurrencies as as a medium of exchange, because right now so many cryptocurrencies and, and there's there's so much skepticism, uh, you know, there, there's so many so much drama. It's it's complicated too, even if you take away the fears, there's so many things like I feel like I just want a few of them to, to understand. And we need just there can never be a bazillion. They're going to be used as 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 payment, maybe a speculation. Um, but that gets me to to the other. Uh, I guess my, my final question, my main question right now is so so you have a stable coin protocol. Uh, Stablecoin, the name sounds very attractive. It sounds like the kind of thing that could start to be used as a means of payment because it's, mm. it's stable. It's not you know, worth 40% more or less the following week. So if I'm a merchant, I feel safer taking it. Um, but I want to read you a quote from Michael Barr, a uh, very a fresh quote, the Federal Reserve, the U.S. Federal Reserve's vice chair for supervision. He's basically the, the Fed's lead banking regulator. He recently told the U.S. Senate that stablecoins, quote, require strong federal prudential oversight to minimize their potential for economic harm. And I'm thinking he's primarily thinking of Terra Luna, a, a stable coin, which proved to be not so stable at all. Uh, I think there is a pecking order. There, there are different layers of uh, or types of stable coins. Um, can you walk us through uh, what a stable coin is and why you think yeah. it's a solution? Yeah. So there's three major types of stable coins. One stablecoin is, uh, let's say, a company, uh, what they do, and this is the case for USDC or Circle, they take $1 and they put it in a bank account and they generate a, an ERC-20, which is a, a token on the Ethereum network, and they say, this token represents this dollar uh, in the bank. And you can always come back to us and ask for that dollar back. Um, now, this has a whole bunch of problems because... Uh, of the, well, we went through it with the banking system. We are in fractional reserve banking because of this system. You know, in the old days, uh, you would take your silver to the vaulting facility. The, the vaulting facility would write your receipt. And, uh, and then you would, instead of 
going to the market uh, before going to the market instead of going to the voting facility picking up your silver so you can pay people you would just take your receipt and then people started using these paper currencies and then the voting facilities would end up saying oh not everyone's going to come here and redeem everything so let's just write more receipts and and this became fractional reserve banking they became very very wealthy um uh and and eventually they had to say well just let us keep doing this and we'll give you a cut and so um here's here's this stuff called interest so now now you've got a cut of our profitable business but so so this is the thing with these centralized stablecoins it's it's the same old thing uh, uh that we've had before there's no it's like meet meet the new boss same as the old then then there is decentralized stablecoins and that falls into two categories one is what terra luna was terra luna was basically what they did is they said we've got two coins one is a stablecoin we'll call it UST, uh, US Terra, that's called Terra Luna, I have a terrible name. But anyway, uh, UST, and that UST is pegged to $1. Now, how do we peg this? Well, we mint this, uh, this token called Luna, uh, and, and whatever, whatever that's worth, so let's say Luna's worth 50 cents, it means we'll put two Luna coin and lock it up to back this one Terra. So 50 cents, two 50 cent coins means $1. So that's that. Now, if, if Terra Luna, start, uh, if these things backing it start falling in value to say 10 cents, well, let's just print 10 of them and put them in here. And it's still $1, right? There's still $1 worth of value. Just now there's 10. Well, eventually it fell into a spiral and, uh, and they, they, they printed trillions of these things to keep shoving more to keep these things pegged. And uh, they, 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 well, they printed more than Venezuela, you know, they made Venezuela very jealous. So um, it, it's a ridiculous system. I warned people back in 2019 about this. I was on stage, on camera, saying Terra Luna is going to fail um, uh, or a major algorithmic stablecoin. And Luna wasn't the first algorithmic stablecoin. Uh, there was BitShares. There was, there's a whole bunch that have been tried in the past. But people... Uh, need to be educated about what that is. There needs to be a, a level of sophistication uh, that needs to flow over humanity. And it's not much. It's basically, you need to, to create a coin. And it's, it's the old, old school gold standard, right? People need to understand, ah, oh, this has value. Why does that have value, this coin? It's because there's some gold backing it. And that has intrinsic value so to speak you know we can go into that <laughs> it's another argument but you can say gold has intrinsic value so it's backing this paper so this is the the algorithmic stablecoin terrible mechanism horrible stay away from it if something's an algorithmic pure algorithmic stablecoin stay away from it because it won't work it'll collapse eventually now the third type of stablecoin is an over collateralized stablecoin it means that there is collateral, whether it's Bitcoin or Ethereum, collateral that you cannot print out of nowhere, um, that is backing, that is actually backing this the, the $1 coin. So no one can print more Bitcoin. This is, this is the thing about, I, I often say, because I'm an old school gold bug, I often say, well, Bitcoin is a rare number, just like gold is a rare metal. It, there's only 21 million of these rare numbers. You cannot find any more. They're extremely hard to find. And once you've found one, it's found into existence and, and it's spent, just like gold is found into existence and spent. And, and so um, th this is very, very different than 
Terra Luna and Algorithmics table going printing as much as they want out of nowhere easily and, and backing their so-called stablecoin. And so this is really where we're focused because by building mechanisms where users can independently lock up, uh, lock up assets, you start to build a system where there is a decentralized uh, pools of funds locked up um, that back the actual uh, fiat current peg stable coins that are, that are floating around. Now, what's great about all of this is that you can, um, you can start to do amazing stuff, right? For instance, you can start to, uh, what we're doing with the standard is allowing people to lock up funds and borrow from themselves at 0% interest. So this is just amazing um, with no period to pay back and no ID checks, no nothing. I mean, is, you mean lock up your own money and then borrow, but I mean, is it, if it's your own money, is it really borrowing? I mean, how does that work exactly? It's kind of borrowing because you've taken out a loan and you cannot get, you have to have more locked up than you're taking out, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So to get the, the collateral back, you have to pay back those funds into the smart contract. And it's borrowing. It, what's good about it is if you, if you, let's say you want to buy a car, you don't want to sell your Bitcoin or Ethereum because you feel like it's going to go up in value. And, um, and so, but, but you need to buy a car. So you lock up that Bitcoin and uh, let's say you do 10,000 in there and you, you mint 500, uh, sorry, uh, 5,000 from yourself. And, uh, and, and now, it's, uh, now you go and buy the car with that uh, stable coin. Um, or you sell the stable coin for actual uh, euros or dollars or whatever your liquidity is. Um, now, first of all, you don't get hit with capital gains tax because you haven't sold anything. So now you've just borrowed, you've got a loan, you've, yeah, you've loaned it from yourself. Uh, the second thing is it's a fixed interest rate. So uh, what's great about that is inflation ends up paying off your loan a little bit. Um, if, if, and this is how the wealthy have generally kept their value through inflationary cycles is that they've gone and, and, and uh, negotiated fixed interest rate loans that cannot be reevaluated if, if there's a currency collapse. And these are very hard contracts to get. So you have to already be fairly wealthy to negotiate such a contract with your bank. Um, and uh, you just then highly leverage effectively going short the currency that's being inflated um, uh, and buy property and, 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 and forestry and, and anything else that's, that's of rare value. And then you pay it back with inflated money, basically. Yeah. 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 You, you, you know, you might have borrowed 10 million and then in, uh, in 10 years time, you can buy the same, you know, uh, a carton of beer uh, for the same money. So now you've effectively bought all that property with a carton of beer. So these, this is this is what uh, DeFi allows you to do because you don't need a special contract. You know it's written in the smart contract that uh, the, the you just need to pay back that many S euro uh, or S dollars and uh, which is standard dollars, standard euro. And um, yeah, it, so so there's lots of things that DeFi does um, that helps. But these are the different types of stable coins that exist, and I would. I would be very, very skeptical of centralized stablecoins because they could just be made illegal. Um, they can also rehypothecate and, and destroy things. So what if uh, USDC, for instance, they, they invest in all sorts of things, just like Sam Bankman did with FTX. What if they invested in all sorts of stuff and they, they're high, highly leveraged? So they're speculating with the underlying funds. The crypto space is speculating with the tokenized funds. What could go wrong, right? It, it's ridiculous. So... Um, it's really important that um, that people look at 
look at these functions and say, no, that's that's not for me. I'd rather just use government money. Um, the reason why they they like USDC though is because it's it's well, it's real time settlement. It's it's global. You can use it in DeFi. You can yield farm. You can do all these amazing things. So I I, I hope that what we what we're building is it going to allow people to enjoy a decentralized money, have that exit door to CBDCs if they screw that all up or become too tyrannical um, and and still have the ability to um, to function in a, in a global economy? Yeah, I mean, fingers crossed. I mean, I'm all for competition. I'm all for technological advances. Uh, I'm all for uh, removing or minimizing what's a very fat, rich layer of uh, financial middlemen. So, uh, you know, if we can get there, you know, I, I'm, I'm, you know, cheering for that. Obviously, they're, they're, with crypto at large and with stable coins, presumably as well, there, there's kind of an execution gap right now, right? I mean, there's the idea, which makes sense, but you know, there there's a ways to go before it's implemented on a societal scale in, in a way that has those network. I mean, every coin I'm guessing needs a certain amount of network effect to to really to reach a kind of an escape velocity, right? Um, and hopefully, hopefully uh, we can get there because it sounds like if we do, that's a better future for all of us. It is. Um, it's also yeah. It's also UX UI. You want you want much better interfaces. What, what Steve Jobs did for the computer was take something highly complex, highly technical. And his vision from the start was, I want a box that I don't need to put an instruction manual with. And most people, you know, the early computers were just a bunch of lights uh, and switches. You couldn't imagine delivering this to grandma and saying, use this. <laughs> like it was just unimaginable. But he was visionary enough to see that in the future, grandma will be able to. And nowadays, you go to the nursing home, they're all swiping away on their iPads, right? <laughs> so so it's um, it's about seeing that, look, th this is a bearer-based instrument. Um, it is a rare asset, a rare digital asset. That was the major breakthrough that Satoshi made. Uh, that, you know, before that, if I sent you a JPEG, um, you don't know if I still have it. Um, by having a rare digital asset that, that I could send and you knew I didn't have it anymore, this was a this was a major computer science breakthrough, and um, it's it's opening up vast amounts of of challenges for the legacy system, but it's also opening up vast amounts of opportunity for a lot of people, and um, and for us it's uh, it's one of these things where. We've been running an exchange since 2015 in, in the Bitcoin space. Uh, it was the very first exchange to, to trade between Bitcoin and physical gold. And we've seen a lot of the challenges of that UX UI had to, um, has. And, and so as we, as we move forward, interfaces are getting easier. Um, uh, things are getting more intuitive, but also shows like this educate people about what to look out for. So I think it's that mixture of education uh, as well as um, as well as interface. Yep, and, and and pain is the best teacher, right? And, and we've had pain, but in this industry, but hopefully that's uh, shaping and molding things in, in in a better way. Just like a kid falls down a lot when they're he or she is learning to walk, and eventually they get it. Uh, hopefully that same thing will happen in crypto. And and certainly I wish you uh, best of luck with the standard.io. Hope that definitely happens in a good way for you guys too. Uh, Joshua Shigala, thank you very much for joining us here on the Early Advantage. I certainly learned a lot and I believe those uh, watching learned a lot. And speaking of those watching, thanks to you guys as always for watching us at home.
Hi there, I'm Brian Christopher. My team and I write the Follow the Money Investment Newsletter published by South Bank Research. And in these videos, I try to give you some ideas to think about. Some are more timely than others. Today's maybe timely. Let's look at a couple charts. Pretty ugly, huh? Well, this asset began trading in February 2018 for more than $800 a unit. It then made three sizable dips. First, it was cut in half from February to April of its first year. But then, it nearly recouped all those losses in one month, rising back to $785 a unit before the bottom dropped out again. The asset fell from $785 to less than $82 a unit by the end of the year 2018. That's a 90% drop. And it's a good segue to kindly encourage you guys to please not ride a position down 90%. If an asset falls 90%, it has to rise 857% for you to get your money back. That's more than nine and a half times, and it's not likely. So I suggest you cut your losses before they become insurmountable. With this particular asset, though, units rose again over the next 25 months. Early owners saw some appreciation, but they didn't recoup all their losses. And then it fell again to $109 by the middle of March 2020. That was the third drop I mentioned. COVID rocked it along with lots of other assets. Hopefully you already would have exited your position, but this asset was down. Everything was down. Some people were hodling though. They held on for dear life. Remember when people talk like that? Seems like a long time ago, but it wasn't. The numbers you see in this chart may surprise you. I told you it fell to $109 a unit. Then the asset rose nearly 44 times from March 2020 to $4,800 just 20 months later. Life-changing gains. A $10,000 investment would have become $438,000. Few were able to buy at the absolute bottom and sell at the top, but you didn't have to. You could have earned 20 or 30 times your money, even if you screwed up the timing. But today, just one year later, look at this chart. This asset has fallen 75% again. At the bottom in June, it was down more than 80%. And the asset I've been showing you is Ethereum, the cryptocurrency, hence the HODL reference. But many of you are familiar with Ethereum, and shoot, many of you own it. I used it to show the trials and tribulations of the crypto space with respect to this currency and in general. It's been a hell of a ride, a literal roller coaster that made and lost people fortunes. So what's going to happen next? Look at this chart. It's been trading flat sandpapering, if you will, for five months now. Is the $902 level it hit in June at its bottom? That wouldn't surprise me, which might sound crazy, right? This space is a lost cause, right? You've likely heard about FTX. What a debacle. I know many have some other words to describe it too. On 2 November, crypto information service Coindesk published financial details of a trading firm owned by Sam Bankman-Fried, who many 
know as SBF. The financials were heavily, heavily overweight. The FTT token, which is printed by FTX, another of SBF's firms. But the trading firm, Alameda Research, was using the FTT token to collateralize, that's to support billions of US dollar loans it had taken. When a major holder of the FTT token learned this, he announced he was selling and it all came down. SBF filed for bankruptcy 10 days after the Coindesk report. You can see the effect this has had on the FTT token, another crypto fraud. So how could crypto have a future? Let's think about this with a before and after. Four years ago, Jamie Dimon, the head of the giant US bank, JP Morgan, said the people who buy Bitcoin are stupid. Pardon the savage words about his customers, no less, but I guess he was just saying what he believed. But I don't believe that Dimon believed in the future of Bitcoin. Fast forward four years and a group just achieved a first in the crypto space. It executed its first ever DeFi transaction. It made a live trade on a public blockchain as part of its project in Singapore. The group that did this was Jamie Dimon's JP Morgan. No joke, it traded a tokenized version of real Singapore government bonds. You're correct if you're thinking that fiat currencies and government bonds aren't supported by the blockchain. By tokenizing them, however, the tokens represent the assets on the blockchain. This isn't playtime. This is real world stuff. This is where we're going. And sure, Diamond may still think Bitcoin is dumb and other cryptos as well, but his bank, the world's largest bank, is still investing in it, as are his fellow institutions and millions of his customers. Billions, maybe, one day. This phenomenon isn't dead yet. In fact, the world's largest bank is building infrastructure for it. Which means those gains that I showed you earlier, they can happen again. I believe Bitcoin and other cryptos can rise again. In fact, many of them will. Now, I'm not saying the gains will be as great as the ones in this chart. I have no way of knowing that. And they can still fall further. We still haven't heard the whole story of this FTX fiasco. And I'm not saying there won't be other crypto frauds. I believe there will be. Even after the recent sell-off, the market cap of the crypto space is $840 billion, though. It'll be different when you watch this, but I expect Bitcoin and Ethereum will still be more than half the market. They're the anchors, and they can move. Ethereum, the asset we've been profiling, has jumped more than $100 on 13% of the days it has traded. That's about once a week on average. And we've seen it in these charts. Buying when there's blood in the streets can be very lucrative. Now, some of you know this space and have already made an informed decision. You're in crypto for the long term and you may have taken advantage of the recent drop in prices to add to your position. If you're making a speculative bet, however, I don't recommend betting your rent money on this, not even your lunch money. This is play money, money you can lose. If you get it right, the gains will be big enough. What do you think? Thank you for watching.